Welcome to the China Flexpert podcast. Today we're going to talk about B2C marketing in China. And we have an expert here who's been both in Japan and in China for many, many years, much longer than 20 years. And it's a real honor to have Mike on the show. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Francis. It's a real honor to be here. Uh, my name is Mike Golden. I'm the founder and CEO of Brandigo China. We're a marketing communications firm based here in Shanghai. I've been in China for the last 20 years, which is unbelievable when I say that out loud. Um, originally from the U.S. and um, been a, a marketing guy this whole time, working with different types of B2B as well as B2C brands. So actually we cover quite a few things. Um, yeah, I love my life here in uh, Shanghai and meeting interesting people like yourself. And Mike, I heard that you also went to Japan in the first place. So how did you leave the U.S.? So originally, actually, I was a Japanese studies major uh, in university. So I did a homestay and a year abroad, all that stuff. And then after graduating, went to Japan, ended up doing sales and marketing for a Japanese company, which was fascinating. Uh, but after about four years, decided I wanted to get out of there and had the opportunity to go back to the U.S., did my MBA, and then had another opportunity. Uh, a good friend of mine said, hey, come to China and let's start a business. And I went, we started a business. That business failed. And then after that, we started what became Brandigo eventually. So you did sound a bit like Tim Ferriss. Yeah, exactly. What would you say is B2C marketing like in China right now? I think B2C marketing is fast-paced, complicated, challenging. It's really so hard with the different channels. And we break it into kind of three parts. We break it into context, which is about language and history and the people. Content, which is what type of content you're going to create to energize people or entertain them, and then channel, which is your WeChat or your Little Red Book or Douyin. Trying to get a handle all, all over these three Cs is what makes it so interesting because I think it's much more complicated here than, let's say, in the West, for example. What can international brands do to keep pace with this change and do both the online and offline marketing in order to compete in China? I think they have to have a, a real handle on what's going on here and the insights of, of uh, their target audience. So we do see a lot of brands come in and they don't really understand their target audience. So the first thing we recommend them to do is to get in there, do some insight research. They don't necessarily have to do a huge survey or talk to thousands of people. They even just talking to a few people and doing some qualitative research uh, gets foreign companies much farther ahead than they would be. What is the value of flex pets like you? What can they do that Chinese people cannot do? Or where? I mean, I know it's difficult, but what would you say is the special value a flex pet can bring in to help international companies succeed in China? I'm not, I'm not sure these days. Certainly the gap has narrowed in terms of skill sets. I can't say Chinese can't do what I do. I could never say that. But I do think that somehow we have uh, some connection with that global Uh, home office, or maybe some understanding just from the way we grew up that we're able to bring to the table, uh, that combined with local Chinese, um, China expertise. So I, I feel for our clients, we're all multinational. We need a bit of both to have successful campaigns uh, and relationships. And what is it that you explain to these home offices usually? What are market entry barriers that you see today and that have been always been there? We really warn them that it's going to be much harder and complicated than they think. Um, and first, they can't copy and paste their global 
marketing campaign. It's not going to work here. Okay, if you're looking, let's say, maybe in the luxury sector or something like that, where you know they're, they don't adapt to local markets that much, uh, then maybe it's okay. But if you're talking about FMCG, food, things like that, you have to adapt product, packaging, all of those things. And then you have to look at the marketing and how that's going to fit here. Uh, it's a long road. The channels are complicated and it's a very crowded market. So you have to do something special that stands out. And what are the local companies doing to kind of push these international brands out of China? <laughs> local companies uh, move very fast. So, you know, just... This last week, we were looking at that Lucking Coffee and the Motai Baijiu uh, alcohol brand crossover that's taken the internet by storm. And they just rolled this out nationwide. They're selling millions of cups of coffee or, or lattes that have little drips of alcohol in them. It's been an amazing kind of collaboration. Uh, moving fast, uh, having some network of scale uh, is something that Chinese brands do very well. Is this something that international brands need to do as well? I, I think in... From our experience working with international brands, they focused more on quality, building it up in a slow kind of way, as opposed to moving fast and trying to take the market. You know, if you look at some of these brands also, like uh, Perfect Diary, for example, was this really hot internet sensation cosmetic brand. Uh, but at the end of the day, apparently it seems that people don't really like the makeup, even though they had all of this wonderful social media and marketing buzz about them. You know, that can backfire as well, moving too fast and just concentrating on the marketing. Having a great quality, having a great product is going to be the foundation of success. And what do Chinese brands do to really build a standard in their quality? I think certainly they're getting there. Um, you know, if you look at some of the car brands, especially EVs, electric vehicles, um, amazing brands out there uh, like Neo and BYD uh, that have pushed the entire world towards EV. So I, I think the relationships that they built doing joint ventures in the past and learning from the West originally and now moving faster and kind of uh, surpassing them in many ways has been their advantage. I see this from the B2B point of view because I my company is a Chinese company. We build machines and machines come from Germany. So I always said that we're going to be the German company in China. But that means that we have to change. We have to be slower and more sophisticated and build quality management and build processes and it's extremely difficult to to get this to change so are you involved in this as well or do you hear anything what chinese brands are doing to get this change running to be more sustainable in what they do it, it feels to me like there's a just such a huge breadth of different types of companies here so some that are acting in a western way some that are acting more in a kind of quote-unquote chinese way and it just depends i think on your target customer and your industry but for sure the competition is intense now i have to say that so brands coming in have to be prepared to spend some money and to make sure that they, they do it the right way but you would still invite international brands to come to china to try this yeah we, we still have new clients contacting us all the time to come into china you know sometimes we can see the red flag of they're not ready for china Or maybe they'll never be ready for China. Certainly on the consumer side, challenging. On the B2B side, the business-to-business -business side, uh, there's still a lot of room for B2B brands here, I think. When you have your meetings in China, where do you meet Flexpets in your customer-partner relationships? And what do they typically do? Well, you, you just kind of run into people all, all over the place, uh, especially here in Shanghai. So, for example, I was at the Costco opening in Hangzhou just a, a few weeks ago uh, with their new warehouse. And I ran into a lot of people there. For example, my friend who's uh, selling cheese to Costco, people like that who have a connection with 
their home and they're importing goods or setting up the brands for success here in China. So it seems that you need to kind of use your personal identity to connect with a brand, right? This is how you can create a value in China. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's very important to have that personal connection. If flex players like me try to work for the Chinese companies, what kind of value do they need to bring in there? I've not worked for a Chinese company, but we've worked with Chinese clients, of course. And I, I think sometimes with the Chinese companies, you have to be a bit more flexible in your approach and also really focus on building the, those personal connections with people. I, I've seen a lot of uh, Flexpats fail here, and I think they failed because the Chinese looked at them and said, oh, this guy's arrogant or thinks he's better than us or doesn't trust what we're saying. So I think those personal connections with local Chinese is, is really critical. And that's the same for you as an entrepreneur? So how you deal with your customers? I, I think with our customers, of course, but also especially with the team. Um, having a great team, especially as a service company like ourselves, is critical to our success. So uh, trusting them, letting them grow, helping them grow, listening to what they say, treating them with respect are really important values that we cherish at Brandigo. How do you make sure that you keep your international identity as a marketing firm while working with mainly Chinese staff? Um, well, we work with agencies all over the world. So one part is about training and learning so that, that we're up to date on global marketing practices. Now, how we apply those locally might be a bit different. So, for example, account-based marketing is the hot trend in the West of basically focusing on uh, key accounts and advertising towards those key accounts. That is a bit more difficult to do in China because of data protection laws. But being able to take that global Uh, marketing approach and apply it in a local sense, maybe adjusting it a bit, is something that is great for our clients and also interesting for the team so that they can learn and we can try new things here in China. Now, if you have all this experience of international brands coming to China, if you would give advice to these Chinese brands going to Germany, like you said, NIO, BYD or other markets, so what would be your advice to them? Well, I think they have to do the same thing that we do, which is really, really learn the market, especially, let's say, in a conservative uh, auto industry such as Germany, where you're fighting against, you know, Audi, BMW and Benz. Uh, it's going to be a tough market for them. And it is. They're doing okay, but they still need to go slow and invest into the market and really understand uh, what the locals are interested in and, and what's going to drive them. Do you remember the same topic for the Japanese 20 years ago? It was in the beginning, kind of a similar feeling. I mean, they entered with a lot of money, setting up plants for their cars, which is similar, buying a lot of real estate. That was a big thing back in the day. Yeah, that for sure, there were some similarities, I would say. Chinese feel like it's going to be faster, you know, really trying to push it very hard, I think. Yeah, so so if Flexpets are based in Europe or in the US and they're going to work for these Chinese brands entering the market and kind of trying to provide localization services for Chinese brands, so what is your advice to them? I, I think, you know, you have to be honest and then you have to really show them what the locals are interested in or caring about or what their pain points are. And then, you know, maybe not have to adjust the product. If it's a car, that's going to be difficult, but adjust maybe the services. I know, I, I think it was Neo that suggested their subscription model for Germany, for example. Um, so looking at the market and trying to make it work in that market is going to be critical. I totally agree. I had the same idea and point. And just now I shared a picture today of a BYD on the automotive IAA in Germany. And it's impressive. It's really impressive how big they are. And it's just different from the premium class that they pitch. But I, I do think that they both have a 
long learning curve in front of them when they are actually able to yeah sell in a, in a critical mass um they, they will be quite tough yeah and if you look at the japan and south korea you know those were all they all they were all challenging when they first uh started exporting vehicles to the west no one took either of them seriously and you know now look at them so if you were to hire flex pets in your business so what would they have to bring in which your chinese staff is not not bringing in you know, I, I do have FlexPat work for me. I know he's bringing definitely kind of a Western sensibility that is different from my Chinese team. And I'm not saying it's better, but it's definitely different. So that when we talk to clients uh, and we bring both of those team members together, it really makes us feel very international, I think. I see. I see. Yeah, I totally agree with this. We also have two FlexPets now. So in my, we have a German team and I'm actually working with um, several service providers in Europe. So I have an extended team of all international people in a Chinese company. It's feeling very weird. It's very interesting, but it's, it's good. Mike, what's next for you in your career? Um, so, you know, we, we love being here. So um, we do want to grow the company a little bit. We're being a bit cautious this year because of the economy and a lot of question marks. But uh, grow the company, um, see where that takes us. Only good things can come from that. And what are you really thankful for if you look back on your career? I'm thankful for the friends who trusted me, you know, the guys who invested in me. Thankful to my even my wife also who pushed me to start the agency long before we were married. Um, I'm really thankful to all that and all my current friends and family and team as well you know they're, they're really great they're such good people do you maybe have another advice for international marriage in china and how to have this kind of a temporary style life go to japan go back to us go to china and stay there how does it work for you we just spent a year in thailand actually so came back to china um, wherever you feel comfortable and if you can uh, manage to make it work economically it's great and then with uh with the wife and i've got a 12 year old kid making sure that they're settled and they're not moving around too much to be honest yeah so so you have two lives basically right you have the family and then you need to make the business work that it both keeps the balance right a absolutely having the home team here that supports me and make sure that when I'm traveling and stuff like that, that everything's fine. It's really helpful. So what's your advice to stay here for 20 years? <laughs> you know, find, find the things that you love and go with those. If you, if you like to eat Western food every day and want to go out once in a while for Chinese, that's fine. You don't have to be completely Chinese, especially if you're living in Shanghai. You can find this balance of life. So I think that's it. And, you know, find good friends and find things that interest you and find that part of your work that, that you like to get you going all day. For those who went back in the last two or three years, do you feel you can still keep contact with them if they're now back in their home countries and you met them in Shanghai, maybe good friends? So, you know, I'm still in close contact with some friends who left. But actually, to be honest, a lot of my friends stayed and just powered through the, uh, the quarantines and all that business. So that's been really interesting. So me coming back, you know, we had our apartment here anyway. So it was pretty easy to move back from Thailand. And uh, most of my friends were still here, to be honest. I'm going home now for the first time after nearly four years. And so much has happened in the meantime. The podcast was born and I wrote a book and I have this job and I got married. And it's wonderful. It's, it's a new life. It's, I, it's, it's wonderful to, to have this life but at the same time, I'm still thinking in German, you know, every day. If I'm working out, I'm counting, I'm doing the push-ups, I'm counting in German. I'm doing everything in German. It's so interesting. So I, I always wonder if I'm like you, 20 years in the country, will this change? What, what would you say? I think it depends on just your trajectory. You know, at home, we, we speak a mix of Chinese and English. 
at work, I've been speaking Japanese with one of my colleagues every day. Life takes you in、uh, interesting places, and I think you know, don't fight too hard against against the current. Sometimes we try to represent flexpats all over the world who work in and with China and and are some kind of、um, open for this international lifestyle. So I think you, Mike, were a wonderful role model for this, and I hope some people can reach out to you and ask for advice if they're especially interested in topics like B two C marketing. Absolutely,、uh, feel free to contact me.、Uh, Happy to talk with people about、uh, marketing in China. They're great topics that I love. Okay, with this, thank you very much, Mike, coming on the China Flexpet Podcast. 谢谢 and 再见谢谢再见啊，さようなら。ありがとうございます。